0: Okay, welcome everyone. It's the second episode of the Film Studies podcast from University of Salford, from the BA Film Studies degree, and um, we are speaking today on a topic that I'll introduce in a moment, but it's the second episode we've done. There is another episode to listen to. So this is the first one you have listened to. Please go back and listen to that. We, we put that out in October and it's now mid-December. So we're hoping to do one of these at least every couple of months. And yes, it is very near to Christmas time, but we're not really going to speak about Christmas today. I think that would make the um my guest is is smiling about that i think that will make the podcast date very quickly so we'll probably leave off christmas but it kind of goes without saying that everybody at, at university of salford and in the film studies and film production directorate wishes everyone a lovely christmas and probably not the most um natural christmas we've ever had but a good one anyway so if if you're listening to this and don't really know about our course i'll just say a little bit about it and who i am i'm dr martin flanagan i'm the program leader for the course and i teach uh, quite a few different things on the course and i'm um i'm supported in that by dr peter peter Deakin and professor andy willis who are the two other permanent members of the teaching team and you'll be hearing from both pete and andy in the future um on the podcast and i'm also supported by lots of great Uh, part-time staff and colleagues who teach various modules and do bits and pieces around the degree uh, and uh, probably we'll speak to some of those in the future as well so it's a we're based in the UK in the northwest Um, Salford is the next city to Manchester and uh, you can come and study film studies with us Um, and you might want to know a little bit about the course so I'm not going to spend too much time talking about it but I do recommend you visit www.salford.ac.uk forward slash and then this is all in one word course finder so it's salford.ac.uk forward slash course finder if you type film in it will bring up a couple of different options and you can go through there to find details about the film studies degree we're basically a critical degree so we're not concerned with making films although there's a lot of creativity on the course we're critical historical and theoretical uh in terms of where we examine film and some related media so we do sometimes uh, have reason to talk about television a bit and there's quite a lot of stuff on comics in the module because of course comics is so involved this will come back later actually in the podcast comics is so involved with with the world of film today so we're all about studying texts and studying the history of mediums uh, looking at audiences and understanding how the industry works and trying to pass that on to our students. So if you want to get a fuller understanding of the course, I spent more time talking about what the course was like at the beginning of episode one, don't think it would be a good idea to repeat that every single, uh, at the start of every episode that people might start speeding through it. So go back to listen to episode one if you want to know about BA Film Studies degree at University of Salford and have a look at us on the Course Finder page. I should also point out, to blow our own trumpet a little bit, that we are 100% rated course for student satisfaction which means that in the national student survey last year um the outgoing graduates the people who graduated in 2020 uh, gave us a 100 percent rating for satisfaction so we're very very pleased about that so i've got a guest with me today and it's a very nice it's a, it's a student who's from the complete opposite end of that he's only just joined us and that's spike knight so i'm going to say hi spike
1: hello um yeah How are you? nice to be here yeah, good, thanks.
0: You've, you've not been with us that long, so I think it's really good that you wanted to come on the podcast and uh, speak to me and talk about one of your interests in in the world of film, which we'll get to in a minute, and what the... Well, people who are listening to the episode will already know what the episode's about, because it'll obviously have a title. Um, but, yeah. you know, I suppose it might be good to start off with to ask you how you came to be on the course, and you've really only been on the course, what, for about 15 weeks now, kind of including induction, uh, it was longer in, yeah 12 <laughs> weeks of teaching I hope, I hope in a good way 12 weeks of teaching yeah. <laughs> and, and a couple of weeks of induction so how's it been for you where did you come from and yeah how's it going how's the course going
1: um I mean it's been great so far I've actually found more things in this area of film studies more interesting than I thought I would like film history I never thought I'd find that interesting good. but actually it did and oh, I, I'm, I mean I'm from Oldham, so I'm not that actually far from where yeah. it is but I went to, uh, I went to Sadworth School, that was my second school, I went to, and then went to uh Sixth Form, yep. and in the midst of all that, I was also part of uh, the Delft Youth Brass Band, so Oh really, okay, kind I didn't realise you yeah. had an actual musical background yourself? Oh, yeah, I, I play... Well, yeah, I still play the cornet. I was about to say I don't, but I still do. Uh, I still play the cornet and I still play the trumpet. And, um, yeah, so I, I've had quite a musical background. I've been doing it since I was, like, 10. And I, st- I still try and do it now as much as I can. We've been having to do it on Zoom recently. Right, which that's is interesting. interesting. Yeah, we that got we can't in terms
0: of, like, mixing? Can you actually get... When different people are playing instruments on different Zoom screens, can you actually get in time? Can you get in sync?
1: No. <laughs> so, basically... <laughs> Basically, my conductor is a genius and um, he basically, what he's done is he's he's, he's emailed the music out to everyone so we can all get the music ourselves and put it all off. And then he's got the backing track, so he's playing it off YouTube and Uh he's playing that through Zoom, so we're all playing along with it from our Holmes. homes.
0: So that keeps time. The backing track keeps time for you sort of thing. Yeah,
1: so we're not actually playing along with anyone in the band but playing along with the backing track and ah, I mean, see. they're nothing right now. Yeah.
0: That does sound but, uh, Well I think you can give him a shout out. What's his name? Uh Matt Stimpson. Right, okay. So that's so that's the old and, that's the old and brass band, is it?
1: No, Delph Youth Brass Band. I was Delph actually in the Older Youth Brass Band for a while as well, Wasn't in right, okay. the Older Youth Brass Band for about two years. But that's much fun... More... I don't know what's, what's really going on there, but I recently I left that because you have to leave it when you're 18. And okay. uh, that I mean that was great, but it's also much more formal. Delph Youth Brass Band's quite just fun.
0: So do you play... Uh, you don't always play traditional brass band music. Sometimes you play stuff that's sort of adapted, do you, for a brass band? Oh,
1: band? yeah, Lowe's, like... Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if, don't, I don't know if anyone knows what Whit Friday is. Which is a big, basically band contest around May June period yeah. in uh, in the whole Saddleworth. And every every year, coming down the street, we always play like fun matches and like Uptown Funk was one of them. And the oh, hockey right. theme was last year. Although well, actually they're both things year, that have you know, a lot of brass on
0: anyway, aren't they? So I guess that's quite good because they're 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 good. Oh, yeah, but we did songs do um, that everyone knows. Yeah.
1: Yeah, though we did do another brick in the wall one year, which oh, right. might not be the best idea. <laughs> That's really interesting.
0: I I I wasn't expecting to actually be able to talk about having a musician on the podcast. So this is really interesting. You didn't tell me that beforehand. But all I'm thinking now is, I think we have to get. Cause as soon as you're still playing the trumpet, not now, not live, but I think we have to get a theme tune for this podcast for next episode. Oh, yeah. So so that's an exclusive. Spike's going to write a theme tune. Definitely going to oh, write. Yeah. A there's going to be, a, gonna be a, a a theme tune next podcast. So that's really so you you kind of kept playing music yourself and. Um, how did you? How did you come to take our course and join our course in film studies?
1: Well, um, it's a funny thing with me in film. I didn't really get into it till a couple of years ago, and even then, I didn't really properly get into it. It's the thing is, right back in secondary school, I didn't really have any film studies. There wasn't an opportunity. The closest thing we could get to film studies in secondary school was drama. Okay. So I did, I did take drama. I, like, uh, I just quite enjoyed that. But I think when I went to college, I was just like I wanted to do film studies. I actually managed to do film studies and media studies, and at the same time, music, which was great. So I had a pretty nice selection back in college. And I think me studying it in college kind of made me realise this is kind of what I want to study and everything. And I mean, that's the same media, studies, because it kind of falls all in the same area when you really think yeah. about it. I mean, media studies is a bit more television, but at the same time, it's still got uh, some yeah, a, lot prin- and it's- a lot of the
0: principles are the same. And a lot of the, um, the frameworks that you learn in order to analyze you know, particularly in, to- in order to analyse text and, and break down the conventions that text use and techniques and so on uh, are shared. And, you know, some of the some of the theories are shared between media studies and film studies, certainly.
1: Yeah. Um, and I remember also in music, we had to do some composing back in uh, back in college. I and mean, we I did about second year as well, but mainly in college, we had to actually look at famous scenes and like Wallie, I can't I can remember the, oh I was doing I was in the Star of Guardians of the Galaxy, that was it. Oh, and yeah. I had to compose a theme for the Start of Gardens of the Galaxy for the opening then up to the point where uh, Star Lord starts dancing and oh. um that, that was that was quite interesting. So you've so done some the, composing prologue, as well.
0: The prologue where he his mum's dying and he gets kind of abducted by the spaceship, that's that section.
1: Yeah, the bit after you get the names and then it just literally before he danced, literally. Oh, okay. And then we had to choose our own song for him to dance to. But that part was actually cut short because of the... Because we had to go... Because of culture down, obviously. But I did actually get part... I didn't actually finish composing, but that was cut what short. Instrument, yeah, it, what,
0: what instrument were you composing that for, then?
1: Well, we're using... Oh, we used some special... Oh, I can't what it's called. We used some special, like... um. Thing, thing to do it on i can't remember what it was called so there's like a soft there's software yeah software yeah. that's so what it's a, it's a bit like a synth
0: or something that is
1: it yeah we use like a uh, lowes and we had this uh technician was as well which knew everything about it so that was great and yeah i actually quite enjoyed that i mean composing i didn't enjoy so much but the thing we actually did study quite a lot of film music and music Tech, which i did in college which is actually quite interesting i didn't think we would and yeah. uh I actually did a whole, we had to do a whole big uh, sway. I don't know if anyone knows what sway is, when it's like a big office sway, it's kind of like, yeah, but well, basically, we had to come, we had to do a big office sway about uh, film music and how it's used and the different types of film music and then including examples and everything. And I was just oh, I know cool. what you mean by
0: office sway, yeah, like a pres- presentation format, sort of. Yeah.
1: Thing, but yeah, so, it's, I do think it's
0: better than the presentation. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's people have probably worked out now, even if they didn't read the, the episode title before they came in, that we are going to talk about film music today. And um, I, I'm, I'm, it's great to hear that you've got experience of playing music. I mean, I have as well, but really a long time ago, and I'm not going to talk about it today. It wasn't very related <laughs> to film. It was bashing drums, and although I, was, I felt I was quite good at it, I never kind of kept it up. But you've got experience of playing music, and you've you've even got some experience of composing for film. That's, that's, fun, that's fascinating. But you have yeah. picked... Uh, you suggested this episode theme, and you've picked film music so i think what we're going to do is we're going to call it film music part one because i can see there being other dimensions to film music that we could explore in the future i'd quite like to get on yes to a sort of people who i know who write about music and film and uh film yeah. people who who do that um and there's lots of interesting ways and so for instance we're not really going to talk about uh songs that are featured in films today are we but that's another kind of really interesting interesting you know aspects you've got the whole kind of songs inspired by and from i mean
1: i love Tarantino and egg soundtracks every time egg makes a film i'm always gonna buy well, they're, a they're
0: much more kind of that as filmmakers they're much more jukebox kind of soundtracks aren't they and, and even so oh, the like, Guardians of the
1: galaxy soundtracks as yeah well, and even, even
0: even someone like lynn ramsey does it with with uh with films like marvin Caller and you you've kind of you know you've literally got a, um a main character who walks around listening to a Walkman all the time and then that Walkman sort of takes on a role shaping the the you know helping to shape the meaning of the film but we're not going to talk about those kinds of films that are populated with lots of songs today we're going to talk about scores yeah. really aren't we so so what so to clear up for people because it is a film studies podcast but i don't want to make it like you know it's not it's not we're not teaching today so when we say soundtrack today we're probably going to mean the score aren't we of the films that we're going to talk about Yeah. Whereas the soundtrack in film studies terms, if you're writing an essay or something, the soundtrack consists of three things, really. It consists of music, which can be diegetic or non-diegetic, which means, you know, heard by the characters or able to be heard by the characters or not. And there's also dialogue, of course, And if it's a sound film, for a start, because some films don't have sound. uh, There's dialogue as well, and then there's sound effects. So three things go into the soundtrack. But we're going to use that term in a slightly more... Casual way today, aren't we? Because we're talking about the phenomenon of of listening to film scores. And um, what's your how important is film music to you, Spike, like in terms of your everyday life? Uh, Do you only hear it when you're watching the film or do you hear it all the (laughs) times?
1: I I try and listen to film music every day. I mean, I try and listen to music every day, full stop. But I mean, I try and listen to film music every day. And I just I'm kind of fascinated by it. Like every time I watch a film, Whatever film it is, you know, whether it's big budget or low budget, I will always listen to the soundtrack of the film and then think about it after and think, I might, I might go on Spotify after and then look that soundtrack up again. And uh, specifically with quite a lot of famous composers, like if I'm going into a film that I know is going to be scored by, Hans Zimmer or John Williams or Matt yeah. Garcino, I will undoubtedly have to go and look up the soundtrack. And even if I didn't love it, uh, lo- lo- love the film, sometimes i still like the soundtrack. Like I'm actually a massive fan of the Marvel movies. I mean, I like a few of them. Don't be wrong, yeah. I like the Guardians of the Galaxy films, I like the Spider-Man films, but well, I don't know, just I'm not that big on. But I do actually really like the score. So films like I'm not. I think I think I'm in the minority here when I say I didn't really like Avengers Endgame, But I actually really like the score for the film. So it's kind of ironic, things like that. And same with Infinity War. Yeah, there's nothing wrong, I think, with with,
0: I mean, the sound, the music should really have a okay. So in the beginning of in the beginning of film scoring, you know, when sound comes into to film at the at the very end of the 20s, there is a sense, you know, certainly in the Hollywood kind of side of things, there is a sense that music was not meant to be obtrusive, it was not meant to be kind of really concentrated on by audiences. So you often hear this this term of kind of invisible scoring it's almost like you know people yeah. were supposed to feel it was there but not really notice it and listen to it but I think I think these days the the kind of music from film industry has grown and you know you mentioned Tarantino before and we talked about a few of the directors who kind of very uh consciously use song choices and things like that to maybe instruct the viewer a little bit or give the viewer a certain vibe in scenes and I think music stands alone a lot more now and it and can actually be a a good thing to pay attention to even when the, so that's what you're talking about, isn't it? Basically listening to yeah. listening to scores when the film isn't there, you know, so maybe listening to, to the score on Spotify or
1: buying a CD or something or going on YouTube to listen to well, it. Well, the funny thing is, I think this uh, focus on film music have come from like the 60s onwards, I like with Bernard Herman and Hitchcock scores and yeah. obviously F- Ennio Morricone, I think that's his name. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, then John Williams of George was the big one.
0: I think you're right I mean, about when that starts because some of those composers you just talked about Bernard Herrmann
1: I mean, Psycho uh, Morricone, yeah, Psycho
0: that they you know we, in your in your first semester that we have just pretty much completed uh, you learned about authorship and we talked about the auteur didn't we and there's a case that yeah. people who uh, compose the music for films uh, they get more. They get a lot more well known. Put it this way, I think, after the nineteen sixties, and you also start to get soundtrack albums being released and pushed a lot more than they were there. Whereas, you know, sort of, I think, in the forties and fifties, it was more music. You know, first of all, there was not quite as much recorded music as there is later on, and second of all, it tended to be associated more like if a star had sung a song in a film or if it had yeah or something like that. You've, you're quite right when you point out, you know, Morricone's scores for the spaghetti films and Once Upon a Time in the West and things like that become
1: you never know to score for the good the bad the ugly everyone everyone, knows everyone knows
0: that everyone we'll we'll talk about this later maybe with star wars which which is one of the films we're going to talk about force awakens but everyone knows the motifs don't they from good the bad the ugly because the the important characters have their own motifs and it might be played on a flute or it might be played on a guitar or it might be played on a harmonica like charles bronson's character in once Upon a time in the west but those motifs they really stand for those characters don't they and Morricone in those in those Western films will, will literally have the motif play as soon as that character <laughs> comes and stands yeah. in, the, in the frame. So everybody kind of knows where they are. And they're very memorable.
1: Well, that's similar to, um, I mean, I know we're going to talk about it soon, but uh, Darth Vader and all the Star Wars. Yeah, exactly. Every time he's Leo, on frame, um, yeah. You have the Imperial march, don't you?
0: Exactly, and and it, it you know people people take that away, and but we were we were talking about um, you know your listening habits with 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 film music, so. You know, I own quite a few film track soundtracks and I tend to have them on CD and I tend to, or or vinyl sometimes. You know, if I I find a Morricone sound, you know, uh, score on vinyl in a charity shop, it gets bought for sure. Um, But if I listen to them, I tend to listen to them in one go and I don't obviously feel like I have to watch the film right away. But yeah, I, I do I do listen to them in one go. Whereas you were saying that you've got quite a lot of film themes on your Spotify. So are, are they coming up at kind of randomly through your listening? Are you sort of listening to a few th- a few film themes every day?
1: Yeah, I mean, funny thing is, I probably listen to more uh, more film themes than I actually watch films, which is a bit ironic because, I mean, <laughs> uh, I. I mean, I watch a lot of films, though. But um, the thing is, with film themes and everything, they'll always be yeah, they'll always be popping up. But like, I try and I always try and listen to one at least. I mean, um, especially recently, I know we are not going to be mentioned Christmas that much, but I've actually listened to the Polar Express soundtrack. And oh, right, yeah. The After Christmas soundtrack and things like that. No, it's which, okay. It's I, not I think... illegal to mention Christmas. It's fine. No. <laughs> actually, I've seen I have seen Polar Express,
0: and I must admit, it was. I, the soundtrack didn't leave a massive impression on me. Is it? Is it John Williams? I know it's Robert No, Mrs. it's
1: Alan Silversy, the one Oh, he... right. So it's actually the guy who's done the, the yeah. soundtrack, the <laughs> score
0: I'm going to review. That's that's convenient. So what was it yeah, about? I just think what, it's very good. What did you like yeah. about the product? It's, it's quite a traditional orchestrated type soundtrack, is it?
1: Oh yeah, I mean every time I listen to it, it just feels like Christmas. I mean, I know that's right. a bit, you know, cheesy, but it kind of that's kind of the what I the I always Polar express sound for the Christmas. I kind of always have for the past few years.
0: Well, if you're gonna say it at any time it is mid-December, it's it's I know. Well, probably better not, probably better not to admit that in a blazing July. Um, yeah. So I think that's fine. So so you I, I think the thing you say about watch hearing more scores than watching films. Well, the one thing that leaps to mind there is actually it's easier to consume music while doing other things than it is to watch films, isn't it? And I think I think in ideal conditions, nobody really wants to be w- watching a film and paying so little attention to it that they can, you know, paint a wall or write their essay yeah. or, or, or you know, have a phone call. But you can actually do most of those things, maybe not have a phone call, but you can do most of that or make a sandwich. You can do most of those things when music is on. And I think, yeah. therefore, you can have music playing maybe giving you a memory of the film if you've seen the film uh, and be doing other things and you can't really do that while watching a film or you shouldn't.
1: Well the thing is the thing I love so much about film is it, it just change like I can't tell you how many earlier Spielberg films would not be the same without John Williams soundtrack. Yeah. ET would not be the same Jaws would not be the same Jurassic Park would not be the same and you know I think that's not the same case with some of the Spielberg later films but especially some of his earlier films and I think that's the same with Star Wars to be honest.
0: I think the reason maybe I'm just going to look up um, some of the later sort of, sort of 2000 on films that he did to make sure that it was always John Williams. But I think what's interesting is that when Spielberg,
1: you I know, know Spielberg, I thought, uh, John Williams didn't do Ready Player One, and uh,
0: that's interesting. He, when, he didn't do did British
1: Spies either. I was thinking, oh, I liked I liked uh, bridge of Spies a lot. Um, yeah, that was a good I, film.
0: I, I was thinking about things like where where Spielberg's style changes a little bit. Um, not so much when, when he kind of goes, you know, uh, self-consciously tries to do something that that maybe gets him seen as a serious filmmaker. So I'm not I'm not thinking so much about the Schindler's List or the Color Purple type of thing. Thinking about yeah. more that when he was still working within, you know, very kind of popular, um, popular film style and still working within within a genre, but maybe. You know, try to adapt uh, to slightly darker subject matter or some more serious things. So I'm kind of thinking about things like Minority Report. Catch Me if You Can think,
1: is a good one.
0: Yeah, and I was also thinking. about like yeah, think that yeah, that's got a
1: fantastic score. Yeah. I, got, yeah, I think it's actually one of the yeah, I think it's actually one of the underrated scores. It's like a murder mystery type score. Which yeah, I'm Catch Me If you can. Well, I, What I remember about it, and I'm really, I could could be getting myself in a lot of trouble here because
0: I haven't seen that film for years, but I seem <laughs> to remember that it was. It was kind of tied into the the period, and you know the, the 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 events are sort of set in the '60s, I think, aren't they? Or maybe late '50s, and you know, yeah. a, a period of yeah. ten years or so, or a few years. And so I think the instruments used reflected that, didn't they? So I think it's a bit jazzier, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and he had some songs, in that. he had uh, Frank Sinatra to come flying at one stage. But by the way, yeah. he's using the best scene, and at the same time, the Christmas songs also in there from that King Cole. Oh right. And... Okay.
0: Did he not? Did he not score a Minority Report then?
1: Oh, he did, but it's not that memorable. The Minority Report score. I must I'm just admit. looking
0: for it in his credits. I, I noticed that he did do the he did do the score though for AI, which um, yeah he did. I'm is not film that I actually quite like, and and I'm I know not a huge fan of AI. Yeah, I know it's yeah. not the most popular Spielberg film. That's probably why I like it. I'm probably going against <laughs> the popularity of some of the others, but I actually thought it was a really messy, very very interesting film, and I quite like films that are very messy. Uh, you know uh, yeah uh, maybe I mean. maybe I'll do that on a on a re-evaluation episode one day you know reevaluate ai AI um, right anyway so we are actually going to what we decided we would do for this episode because we're talking about film music is we'd look closely at a couple of scores that we picked you know I picked one uh, and you gave it a listen and you picked one and I gave yours a listen and we'd sort of review them and it happens that yours is a John Williams score but it's a John Williams score that will probably have a lot of familiarity for people because it has a lot of themes in that they've heard in other films even if they haven't listened to this one and then yeah. I've picked a I've picked a score from a uh, a recent Marvel film and people probably won't know who listen to the podcast but I work on Marvel quite a bit and I was part of a a team that wrote a book called Marvel Studios Phenomenon back in 2016 so I kind of watched spent a lot of time watching marvel stuff so there's probably no great surprise to to some of the people who know me that I've ended up talking about a marvel score but you're going to talk about and you've decided to uh, to review Star Wars the Force Awakens yes which is from 2015 <laughs> obviously and and it was the first uh, the first time that JJ Abrams took over directing the franchise wasn't it uh it, was it the first Disney Star Wars product.
1: Yeah, the first issue yeah. Star Wars. So, Although we so the, don't the, the, load since. Yeah, you? I
0: know the comics had already started coming out and things like that um, from Marvel, which was already part of Disney by 2015, but it was the first. So since then, we've had a, quite a lot. We've had some, um, we've had a cycle of, as it were, official Star Wars films, and then we've had offshoots like Solo and Rogue Roll one. one. But we've also, yeah. of course, with, with massive popularity, had The Mandalorian. Should we say, spend a minute talking about that, because the music of that <laughs> is really good, isn't it?
1: Yeah, Ludwig Goranson, I think that's his name, he also made a Tenet score, by the way, and uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's an absolute, I I love the Mandalorian soundtrack, I mean, I'm watching the news series at the moment, and um, even my brother, who's not into film music at all, I, really, at at all, we were watching the episode, and even he noticed, like, when the score changes every now and then, especially in the titles, and honestly, the score is great, like, it's um, it's kind of like Hans Zimmer, like you have the robotic bits. I can't. I don't, I don't know what the word is there, but it's not your know, typical. It's not. It's got a bit of John Williams in there. Like you can yeah. tell, he's got a bit of inspiration from John Williams, but at the same time, it's very similar to like Hans Zimmer scores, where it, where it's kind of like synthesized, and you can tell. Yeah. So you mean it's it's it's
0: a balance between because I think I've noticed in the in the sort of the what people used to call incidental music I don't think they do anymore but they're kind of not the type of music I, I've noticed there's quite an industrial feel or a, or you know you called it a robotic a kind of a, an inorganic feel but then there's also yeah. uh in the main theme there's also the sort of the traditional kind of big instruments that are a bit ro- more romantic yeah. sounding I agree with you I think they're trying to go for something that's a bit halfway human aren't they
1: yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm a huge fan of the Mandalorian soundtrack, specifically the theme, the the bad guy's theme. What's his name, Moff Gideon? That's his name. Yeah. The theme when he came in in season one, I, I that was amazing. I mean, <laughs> and the, the the Mandalorian score is fantastic. But the only downside to it, and it's not the only really thing about the score, is that you can't actually get it and CD copy, which is oh, annoying. I thought, it
0: been, I thought the album would come out when the first season came out. Did it, did it yeah, you not get, it get, get any release, release at all?
1: I, oh, right, I see, right. So Spotify, but I can't get on CD, which I, I, I'm quite a digital right. digital media collector. I, I, I like having DVDs. I, I like having CDs and everything.
0: Yeah, me too. And I've got quite a few of the early Star, uh, Star Wars films scores uh, on CD. And um, I, I was very fortunate when... The prequels came out because my wife was at that time manager of a record shop. So they would come in, oh, wow. and they'd often be promos, or they'd get a copy that would lose its sleeve, and they couldn't sell it. So I would get it. So I got I got most <laughs> of the prequels, and and the music. You know, by the way, whatever people think of the prequels, the music oh. standard stayed excellent. So yeah. you know, Phantom Menace. I know we're not supposed to talk about that. we will talk about Force Awakens, but in a minute, but Phantom You're Menace, which is not, yeah, Phantom Menace is not is not is not a lot of Star Wars fans' favourite Star Wars film, to put it mildly, but the music (laughs) standard stayed so high. And uh, one interesting thing about that that score is that it makes use of the choir a lot. And I noticed there there was a lot of choir on... Well, there was a bit of choir on Force Awakens. There's a lot of choir on the film I've picked. But anyway, let's give you the chance to talk about the Force Awakens. The last thing I'm going to say leading in is that uh, quite a well-known quote attributed to George Lucas that you hear around a lot is is uh, Lucas, of course, started the whole Star Wars ball, ball rolling. and he directed the... It, sorry, he didn't direct the first three films. He directed the first film and had a hand in writing and, and producing the second and third film, and then when the prequels came out, I think he directed all of those again, didn't he? Yeah. And more or less stopped directing after that. I think he did one, more, maybe
1: well, one, the, one more. the word directing is a bit lucid. I don't really yeah, know. Yeah, he's,
0: he's, <laughs> um, he's, he's not, he doesn't seem to have a, a massive drive to do lots and lots of directing, no. does he? And I actually remember in in Easy Riders Raging Bulls, a documentary from a very a very worth, worthwhile read, uh, uh, a book that, ev- that everybody should read especially those people doing the course because we look at this in the second year in the book "Easy riders raging bulls by peter biskin there's a documentary s- sort of made off off uh, off that subject matter and francis coppola actually says that george lucas you know he says george lucas was a very lazy guy <laughs> he didn't want to he didn't want to direct very often and, and so it proved but um yeah, George well, Lucas
1: made said, some good films. He's just not that
0: good of a director. So. <laughs> yeah, George, George Lucas said, and quite a few people have probably heard this quote that sound. He doesn't say just music, but he says, "Sound is fifty percent of the movie-going experience." And and I think it's interesting that a director can feel that, almost like implicitly feel that, but actually audiences don't always seem to come away wanting to talk about sound, particularly the non-music sound parts of films. Which is why I think we should have, you know, another episode of this podcast about about sound in general in films, but. We don't always come out of a film raving about how the soundtrack worked. We might come out talking about the music. I think there's more chance that we'll come out talking about yeah. enjoying the music than anything else. So, you know, clearly filmmakers understand the importance of sound and they understand the importance of music. So why did you pick Star Wars The Force Awakens?
1: Well... About? um, <laughs> Um, well, basically, all the way back in 2013, when the film got announced, uh, we're gonna we're gonna go back in time a bit now. All okay. the way back in 2013, when the film got announced, I remember thinking, okay, what are they going to bring back? Who are they going to bring back? And, and then and then I heard they were bringing back Hanson Ford, Kai Fisher, Mark Hamill, and even bringing back the late Peter Mayhew to play uh, Chewbacca, which yeah. I, was, I, was, I was amazed by. And I, but the thing I was thinking of was, are they going to bring back John Williams to the soundtrack? And I think I, it was a couple of months before I heard he was composing it with uh, the San Diego, San Diego Symphony Orchestra. I was really, really excited. But I was also a bit, I was also a bit worried because, obviously, the Force Awakens, in the end, is a soft reboot to the Star Wars franchise. And yeah. uh, I, I, in the end, I, I was a bit worried, like, I they just going to reuse um, the main themes from the original Star Wars you know, like the main Star Wars theme, the Incredibles theme, the Princess Leia theme, Luke's theme, and the Imperial March. I was, I was a bit worried that they are just going to reuse those themes and not come up with any new themes. But then I was pleasantly surprised when I remember sitting in the cinema in 2015, which it's about five years ago. Today, I actually sat yeah, in the it cinema realised today. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember sitting in the cinema and it got to the opening scene in the film and you see Kylo and ship come in and he just hear the Kylo and fanfare. And mm-hmm. I just remember having a huge grin on my face. and I just remember thinking, you know, no matter how, how the film turns out now, I'm going to love the soundtrack for this film. And mm-hmm. actually, I, I love The Force Awakens, but honestly, the soundtrack's incredible. Like, you have those, you have these original themes from the original Star Wars, but you've also got the new themes. Like, you've also got Rey's theme when you first see the vast... Uh, sand landscapes and the uh, yeah. Death Star in the sand and you get racing in the background. I just, I thought that was fantastic. And then you get Finn and Poe's theme when they, you know, they get the tie fire at the first order, and they, you get the first first bit of Finn and Poe's theme. And that, I think that's actually fantastic. And at the same time, you also get the March of Resistance when all the Resistance X-wings are going along the lake at one stage in the film, and they, they, they were, and that, that's an actually fantastic. And at the same time, you, you just get all these fantastic new themes in the film, but you've still got all the original themes, like you have Princess Leia's theme when you see her in Union with Han Solo. You've still got the main star themes, you know, from the opening crawl to the end credits. You've still got the Imperial March when you see Darth Vader's helmet. You've still got Luke's theme when, you know, someone's using the Force, which is towards the third act of the film. And at the same time, though, you've also got that nice combination of new themes, and I just... I just think it's incredible. Like, the thing is, the Force Awakens soundtrack, I don't actually think it's some of John Williams' best work. I think John Williams' best work lies within Jaws, E.T., Sinner's List, Jurassic Park, and so on and so on and so on. But the thing with the Force Awakens soundtrack, I always come back to that. You know, if I'm going to listen to a John Williams score any day or just a theme that's uh, composed by John Williams, I'll always go to the Force Awakens soundtrack just to listen to it because, honestly, it's just... It's absolutely fantastic. I remember just loving the soundtrack and you know i I can't tell you how many times i've listened to the soundtrack of the past five years and you know (laughs) i just think it's fantastic it worked so well the film as well and i just i remember coming out the fourth week in film just wanting the soundtrack straight away i didn't have spotify back then so I remember asking for the soundtrack for Christmas. I had to wait all the way till Christmas, which was like 10 days away back then. I was going to wait <laughs> to get the soundtrack because it, it, it's so fantastic, though. I just, you know, right from the opening call, when you get the opening themes, you get Kylo Ren's theme, which is actually one of my favourite themes in the in the whole of all the new three Star Wars films. And by the way, I'm actually a huge fan of all of uh, the new Star Wars scores, by the way, it's, especially the score for The Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. But I must admit, I like Force Awakens a bit better just because... It came up with those new themes, and last Jedi, Mark Skywalker, to kind of just go, you know, they, they reuse those films. They still have new themes in those films, but not well, as much as in the fourth way. That's relevant
0: to the film I'm talking about because I'm going to talk about a film that's like really a part one, where the the end of the film is a, it's not even a really a cliffhanger. It's a kind of a, you know, it's it, it it's a, a massive break where it's obvious that the next yeah. film is gonna, <laughs> is gonna is gonna is gonna come after some time has passed, and 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 I don't think that the films that don't have triumphant endings have to figure out a different way to have the score help to convey that message to the, you know, to the person listening. And I suppose part two, you know, Last Jedi, which is a film I quite liked, had a different role to play in the sequence of three films, you know, so starting with The Force Awakens and ending with Rise of Skywalker. The part two had a different role to play. And it's going to be a bit like that with the film I'm talking about. So it's interesting to listen out for that in terms of the music and see how the music is conscious of, you know, not ending on a, triumphant note so I'm thinking back to Empire Strikes Back here, and you know how the how the music towards the end of Empire Strikes Back Strikes Back has to behave differently from the music at the end of Star Wars, because yeah. you know by which I mean A New Hope, but I refuse to call it A New Hope. I'm sorry, listeners, but I am a certain age, and it's just Star Wars to me. So, <laughs> um, uh, I, yeah. and, and another memory that comes actually, you said about waiting until Christmas to get the CD of Force Awakens, and I'm remembering back to when I was a kid, and quite a few people's houses, you know, maybe their parents had bought it, so it, would have been expensive had the John Williams Star Wars score on vinyl, so it was a double album, and it was oh, a really wow. nice object to 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 look at and take out of the sleeve and play, but it was a very popular sound, you know, a lot of people had it. And this was at a time when, for the first few years of the existence of that film, people didn't really have even VHS uh, capability in their house, you know, they didn't have uh, a video of Star Wars. I remember that Star Wars didn't get broadcast on on um, network television in the UK until either 83 or 84. So it was either six or seven years after release oh, wow. that it first came on TV. So of course you have got to listen to the soundtrack if you want to relive it. You know, you don't have yeah. any other options. Um, so when you think back to, to the soundtrack and watching the film, is part of the big impression it left on you the high quality of being in the, in the cinema and hearing it over those kinds of speakers or do you get just as much pleasure when you listen to it in, have headf- you know your own headphones
1: well it's a bit of both like, i remember being in the cinema of the fourth It's one of the biggest cinemas i've been and i've been in, it in ages by the way but it was one of the biggest cinemas i've ever been in and i just remember the cinema was packed and it was huge and i just remember sitting and hearing the soundtrack come off the screen and i think to a degree yes because i watched uh, the last year i'm skywalker on Small, small, smaller screens. When I say smaller, they were still very big. Like yeah. I, I saw it in the cinema, but it it they didn't have the same effects on the film. And that might just be because I saw it in that different uh, cinema. But the thing is with the Force Awakens, it I just remember hearing the soundtrack. I just go, "Wow!" And then you know when when I watched the Force Awakens now, I even you know I even turned it up when. Some, some, some moments in the soundtrack come out like when you see the X-Men going along the river, that's one of my favourite bits in the film and I, I always turn the soundtrack up a bit there, but I found it really interesting yeah, that you're mentioning
0: you, you're talking about listening to the score on its own but when you yeah. talk about bits of it, you always link it to what's happening in the film at the time so you obviously, yeah, know the film, the thing. Yeah, you obviously know the film quite well, but you're remembering the film through having the soundtrack re, relive it for you, aren't you?
1: Yeah, that's the thing with all the film soundtracks, to be honest with me. Whenever I listen to a certain track in the soundtrack, I always try and remember the scene, and I don't know why it kind of works better for me. I mean, that's not to say I can't, you can't listen to themes on its own, because if you may want to actually listen to a soundtrack before, there will be themes in the soundtrack that maybe didn't appear in the film, but like in the *Force Awakens* soundtrack, you have Ray's theme, and actually, there's another theme in the soundtrack called *The Scavenger*, which is actually yes. the theme used when we first see Ray in the film. But Ray's theme is also falling in there.
0: I've written something about *The Scavenger*, and I, 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 the note that I'd put down is, you know, that *Star Wars* as a whole, its connection to westerns is very well known. It's kind of pretty deep oh, yeah, connection. Absolutely. People know it, and you can. It seems to me that with any *Star Wars* score, you can always hear the western influence by which i mean the choice of instruments and almost like a galloping quality like a horse's galloping quality but yeah. I, that I, I maybe particularly heard that in the scavenger but i might have got the track wrong because i couldn't i couldn't quite line up the tracks when i listened to the soundtrack online i couldn't quite line up the tracks but i did notice that that it you know the force awaken soundtrack really strongly has that flavor that western flavor that i remember particularly um noticing this in attack of the clones which oh, of my the least clones, favorite Yeah, it's 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 not the best Star Wars film, but it had some of the. I'm a real Western fan, and it had some of the deepest connections to the Western in in that it it kind of reminded us of of uh, some of the the links between the original Star Wars and uh, John Ford's film, The Searchers, and those links came back in Attack of the Clones because obviously we were we were were looking at the the growing up of Anakin, and I remember noticing all the Western. I, I felt like the you know the exit music, the exit version of the main title. That came yeah. it, the clones had more Western it more Westernisms in it than than any of the other films. But yeah, I remember I, I did note down about the Scavenger. Something else I think that John Williams is very good at in those Star Wars scores is is the tent. It's not just the action stuff. It's the tender stuff as well. He's very good at making you imagine that this scene is a love scene, or that this scene is about somebody missing someone, or this scene is about you know even if you're not watching the film that a particular scene is about somebody. Um, being sad or something. He's very good at that kind of tender stuff. Yeah, he can a, really take it down, can't he? Yeah,
1: there's torn, torn apart in the soundtrack, which, spoil if you haven't seen The Force Awakens, or the part where Han Solo dies. Yeah. And if it's we're really, really slow. That
0: for, for, if we spoil that for people now <laughs> five years
1: on, then they yeah. really are in trouble, aren't they? But um, <laughs> the thing is, yeah, I remember um, the fiend really slow, and then once... Han Solo dies, it starts to speed up a bit. And that's the same with the track Finn's Confession in the soundtrack, because that's when Finn reveals to Ray that like he was actually a stormtrooper and everything. Yes. And if you just listen to that track alone, first of all, it's very similar to one of the tracks in the Phantom Menace soundtrack, but at the same time, it's also, you can tell, okay, this is a much more you know, sombre moment in the film, and maybe not. But then if you listen to one of the tracks in the soundtrack, like Follow Me, which is a track where you have Ray and Finn running away to get away from the TIE fighters and Jackie when they first meet, that's... You can tell that's much more, okay, that's an action sequence now, or that's the same with, you know... I think it's Cesarzo for X-Wings. That's one of the tracks tracks in the soundtrack. And you can tell they're much more, you know, straight action sequence scenes when you went to the soundtrack alone, but then you go into, you know, tracks in the soundtrack, like, like i said, Finn's Confession and Torn Apart, or the farewell, tip, farewell and Tip, and even the last, even the finale and credits of the soundtrack, where you see Luke, and you get Luke, that the little theme on *Arc 2 Island, I think it is, Oh, when just you get the, the little theme. The, Just
0: the appearance of Luke at the end.
1: Yeah, and you get this little yeah. theme there, which is used a lot more in the Last Jedi soundtrack, by the way. Yeah. You get the little theme there, and even that, you know, the, the way it builds up and everything, and the even that you can tell just from listening to the score alone. Don't you need to see the film? Just from listening to the score alone, you can tell. Okay, this is the big realization scene.
0: Yeah, that's what's. I mean, we spoke about you know, um, and I'm gonna. I'm, I'm kind of conscious of time, so I'm gonna move on to talk about my film in a minute. But the, we talked about how writing a score, composing a score for a part one, knowing that it's going to go into a part two, um, the composer must have to take some things into consideration there you know if they're if they're designing it to have a cliffhanger if they're designing it so that a theme is going to come back in the next one you know they're going to assume that they're going to be the person writing the next one or they'll already know it so that they'll write it to that but I think you're right I think I think Williams is always I think the style for scoring science fiction films by the way in the early 70s before Star Wars came out and you know George Lucas's first sci-fi film THX 1138 is quite different in terms of this um, the style was not for big, lush, sort of what I would call romantic, orchestrated scores. It was things that sounded a bit more like Planet of the Apes, which is sort of quite um, quite an electronic sounding, quite a harsh sounding, you know, not very harmonised, not very um, melodic kind of soundtrack. So, Star Wars changed some of these things, uh, uh, and Williams was, yeah. was, was was at the lead of that, you know.
1: Well, Spielberg actually recommended, because obviously Spielberg and George are friends, he wanted to go make the Indiana Jones trilogy together, but... Um, he he actually recommended John Williams to George Lucas. And, uh, yeah, and um, I remember actually watching uh, the documentary the making of The Phantom Menace, and they all watched the film for the first time. And they're all a bit astounded by the film, but uh, (laughs) uh, George Lucas goes, uh, you know, in the end, people aren't watching the film, they listen to the soundtrack. Well, I mean, you know,
0: he did say that that sound is 50% of the experience. And, I mean, certainly you can't imagine the Star Wars films having... You know, we spoke about the Mandalorian, that's a relatively new thing, and already people have a real sense of what that is all about because of the music. And and there's a there's a massive communication that goes on with music that bypasses, you know, images. But at the same time, music is there to to kind of shape people's interpretation of films as well. I'm not going to get into that today because it's not a film to it's lecture, as I said. It's about it's about things that we enjoy listening to. So I'm, I'm going to move on to
1: the soundtrack. I can and say one it. more thing about The Fourth week and One more you thing can. about that. You can. When J.J. Abrams heard Ray's theme for the first time, he said this when John Williams was getting his Lifetime Achievement Award, J.J. Abrams was there, and he said when he heard, heard Ray's theme for the first time, he cried right there well
0: there you go so so uh, yeah. he's he's got one accomplishment with the soundtrack which is it makes film directors cry um, <laughs> for, for for whatever whatever reason no i mean it, it's, it's funny that we both picked i would say comparable but not super similar things but i thought about what i wanted to review and i decided to go for something that was also big in scope and kind of orchestrated a sort of a traditional kind of classical classical type score as opposed to something that was you know we said before that you know, Edgar Wright scores are different or people who have a lot of songs on their soundtrack there was a, a word that was used for a while called song track that used to be used for albums mm. and I don't I think people have dropped that <laughs> you're screwing your face up quite rightly thank it's god a terrible <laughs> word yeah, yeah. Um, but some scores that I love are very very different to the one I'm going to talk about so I would say that Maybe I need to do a different episode, but I, I probably my favourite score ever is the score that Stuart Copeland did for the film Rumblefish, which is a film that I actually I have You Rumblefish. guys made 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 uh, your year or asked your year to watch. So uh, at, at the beginning of the semester, um, which is a really great Stuart Copeland was the drummer in a band called the Police, and it's a it's 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 very percussive. It's kind of song based, but also worked with the Score, and that is my favourite score to. To kind of listen to in chunks that would would relate to songs, if you like, rather than music yeah. views. But it's also the it's also my favorite score in terms of conjuring up the memories of the film because I've watched the film so many times. And it's it's yeah. like, it's a Francis Coppola film. It's kind of connected to to the to the world of George Lucas vaguely, I suppose. But I decided to for this. I decided to review Infinity War. Now I've already I've already said that I work on Marvel a lot and spend a lot of time thinking and watching Marvel for that reason. The score for infinity war i suppose it's called avengers colon infinity war officially isn't it mm. it's by alan silvestri and uh, silvestri has done a few marvel films but not not lots and lots of them so there's been lots of other composers have been mixed in michael giacchino did some um danny elfman's been involved i think danny elfman might have come up with the avengers uh, age yeah age
1: and, and uh yeah. and
0: a number of other a number of other people as well but uh silvestri got the job for infinity war and infinity war might be the film that i think has got the best is, is the most all-around accomplished film so far in the mcu so i think it it had more difficult things to do and it accomplished them all really well compared to the standalone films that can be really fantastic on their own but never had such a difficult task you know it was a a very yeah. a very long film with a million characters to, to include so i think that's one of the reasons i like the film but I think, one, I think the, the reason it, I decided to review it was partly because I'd already bought it on CD and I noticed that I'd never bought any of the Marvel film soundtracks on CD. So there must have been something about this that made me want to relive it that the others hadn't.
1: And I do actually have the Avengers soundtracks on CD as well.
0: Yeah, you see, I, I'm a pretty big fan and I'd never felt like I needed to have them before. And none, none of the individual, not a single one of the individual scores had made me go, I, I want to listen to that just alone
1: and we think infinity it's kind the opposite yeah like, with if Infinity
0: it... War, I can't, yeah you're not that fussed about the, the marvel for some of the marvel films are you whereas that no. and this was the first one where i kind of thought i really need to listen to that soundtrack again to get all the detail and and, and, and because the soundtrack feels like it has a story of its own without without the film yeah. having said that it does still do what you were saying with force awakens it reminds me of, of particular scenes but there is there are there are certain bits of this score for infinity war that remind me of a I think a pretty great film composer that doesn't always do great scores, and that's Hans Zimmer. I think he is, mm. I think he is extremely good and extremely talented, but I think he can phone it in a little bit because he's very, very successful now, and you know, he's 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 clearly getting more work than he needs, and so, you know, I I, I don't think he was kind of doing his best work on the Batman versus Superman soundtrack, but you know, for instance, where he teamed up with somebody kind of from the world of electronic music, and and, and, and you know, it had, there's nothing memorable it seems to me about that score. But there are shades of Hans Zimmer in some of the best parts of Alan Silvestri, and and Zimmer's best score, it seems to me, is his score for Terrence Malick's film *The Thin Red Line*. And if I played *True
1: Romance*,
0: yeah, if I played if I played *The Thin Red Line* for you now, you'd recognize you'd recognize it because it's been played so much outside of the film. The film was actually not very successful. Actually, neither was *True Romance* really. But but the the score has been quoted a lot. And you would hear it because apart from anything else, it's the, the, the most famous cues from the Thin Red Line soundtrack have been used on trailers for other films. So um. it's probably still making money for the studio, or making money for Hans Zimmer, but I don't know what Terence Malick mm. thinks of it. There's a track on the Infinity War soundtrack by Sylvester called Even For You, where I think it's directly making, making, making me think of the Thin Red Line and, the, and one of the m- most important cue in Thin Red Line is called Journey to the Lines. I think that's one of the reasons I like it. It also has a lot of the elements that we've talked about as as working so well for John Williams. It has choirs on it. You know, it has all the kind of various armaments of the orchestra, but the choirs play a very big part and the choirs really help to, to tell you that you're in an important, you're in an important part of the film, you're in an important sequence. I think the human voice still has that effect. But one of the things I like most about it is actually one of the quietest, simplest parts, and it's a track called Porch.
1: And
0: that's my favorite it's it's brilliant yeah. isn't it and porch yeah. is maybe one minute 30 <laughs> seconds at the most and porch is the bit that even on my first watching of infinity war stuck in my head and i'll, I'll give you a couple of reasons for that so i really doubt we i really doubt that we're spoiling infinity war now for anyone but just as you said we're han solo you know spoiler warning if you really haven't watched infinity war and are going to watch it on christmas <laughs> but um You know, the Avengers lose this one and Thanos, the the nemesis of the Avengers, the supervillain, wins. And he wins in a particular way. And he's allowed, as it were, by the story to go and retire and then go and live on a farm at the end of the film. And that's where we hear Porch and Thanos is kind of sitting back and breathing out and kind of going, I've done it. You know, I've done what I set out to do. So it's a very ambiguous moment because we've seen a lot of death at that point. We've seen some favourite characters die. Probably don't need to spoil that bit, do us. That's good. Mm. <laughs> we've seen a lot of death. We've seen a lot of destruction. And then the film ends on this this very quiet, uh, meditative moment where the bad guy gets to sit on his porch and kind of look out onto a sunset. That's that's basically what happens, isn't it? He's looking yeah. out onto the sunset. And uh, it's one of the best bits of music in, in the film because it's so... There's two things. It's so teed to what's happening. It's so kind of queued up to this this moment where thanos relaxes and kind of goes i've got got what i wanted but it's also for me it's very it's a very strong moment because it is the images are almost panel for panel what happens in the comic that it's taken from so the comic was called infinity gauntlet not infinity war but it's a comic that jim starlin uh wrote and uh george Perez i think drew and uh the, the panels at the end of infinity gauntlet really reflect what we see at the end of infinity war so it's the idea of thanos being on a farm having almost like stepped away from the supervillain business and retired and kind of mm. gone I've, I've done my bit i'm just gonna sit on, a, on my farm now and it it is really i've got a really strong connection between comic and film for that but porch is i could listen to porch kind of on its own as a track mm. and it would almost make always make me think of that you
1: know yeah i mean that's actually one of my favorite bits because you know, if you didn't have the string quartet there, say you had some big orchestral score at that moment, yeah, it would have such a different effect. Oh, you can absolutely. Have, and the thing is with Port, I always think it has a bit of a. It's one of the lines of, I'm like, what did it take? Everything yes. and well, cost, it's just yeah, that well effects. Yeah, and it kind of it kind of makes you feel a bit. Oh my God! Okay, there's more than more to this. You know, huge super villain fanostan. Just he wants to kill everyone well, half the universe. It's a it's a character moment and
0: it's in the best way, yeah. isn't it? It's like you know they've spent a lot of time by that point building Thanos up um, and uh, you know going through various iterations of the character, sort of from glimpses, small glimpses at the at the end of the post credits of the Avengers to to more coverage in Guardians of the Galaxy. But they've they've spent the time to make you think that you know um, it's a it's it's a it's an insane plan, but in his own mind. He believes he's doing something that has value and is doing something that is actually going to help the universe, even if that is a really uh, distorted way of looking at it. And he has achieved something. And it's mm. sort of, I think the other thing I like about Infinity War soundtrack is it relates to this thing I said before about I like the film because I think it had a much tougher job to do than any of the other films. Mm. It had much more to pack in. And it also had to leave you, the film also had to leave you looking forward to the next film while being utterly devastated by the things that have happened at the end of Infinity War because, you know, Thanos yeah. has won and certain certain uh, beloved characters have died. So I think the score had the same difficult job. It has to finish, in a, you know, I mentioned Empire Strikes Back before and I, there, there are certain part twos of trilogies that I think have the same role. And I know Infinity War isn't part two of a trilogy, but it's kind of the end of part one when everybody knew there was a part two coming up. And I think have the same function, you know, the second Matrix film, the second Lord of the Rings film, perhaps I can't remember that one too well, where people need to be left knowing that the next part is going to perhaps have some hope in it and some salvation. But at the moment, everything is really messed up. <laughs> you know, yeah. everything's everything's gone as bad as it possibly can. Everything's, everything's really messed up. So I think Sylvester with the score, he has, to, he has to kind of structure Infinity War score so that everything builds up and everybody's in, in the right place on the battlefield and then the battle happens and you've got the excitement of that, but the battle goes wrong for the heroes. And then he has to deflate everything and he brings it all back down to scale. And then you've got Porch, which is this very, ironically given that Thanos is an alien, a a kind of very human sounding thing, with just as you say, just this string quartet, just these few instruments. And he has to leave people knowing that there's gonna be a part two where maybe things will change. And so the the end credits music of Infinity Infinity War, I can't remember what the track is called. I've got it here actually. So the end title, which is actually called Infinity War, <laughs> uses uses the yeah. Avengers theme, but is very subdued. Uh, uh, and yeah, I I, I I think he's done a great job on it because I think those emotions are so difficult to, you know, the, the audience are having their emotions played with a lot. And I think it could get, well, I think it could get exhausting if it's not done correctly and sort of structured correctly. And I think that's one of the things that the score achieves as well as the film, you know.
1: think. <coughs> The thing is, like, you get into the Avengers Endgame soundtrack, which is done by the same person, by the way, yeah. and then you get, that's, I actually prefer the Endgame soundtrack, although I don't think the Infinity War soundtrack is bad in any way, but I think the Endgame soundtrack is just a bit better because you get themes like Portals, which, you know, that's a fantastic piece of music. Then you get, what's it, The Real Hero, where, I'm going to get, well, in case anyone hasn't seen I won't tell you what, when that happened, but it's quite a sad scene. Yeah. And, it's a funeral. Putting that one. There's a lot and, of sadness <laughs> in that film, isn't there? Which
0: is, which is again, is quite unusual that somebody had to build a film up uh to have so much destruction and sadness at the end of part one, and then <laughs> there's loads of there's loads of sadness at the end of part two it's, as
1: well. Because you have, the, but the thing is, with the end, of the sadness in part two, it's much more instrumental because you want to feel sad. You know, yeah. It's yeah. Like there's, an there's an indulging, there's an indulging in the
0: emotion, isn't there? And there's also a feeling that. This is not just the end of one stage; it's the end of one stage and the beginning of a new stage. Maybe with Endgame, I think.
1: Yeah, like I think Silver Street's fantastic composed He did the Back to the Future theme, mm. which some of the most famous themes of all the time. But I think the thing that he does so well in the Avenger themes is just managing to combine it all together, and then still including that main Avenger theme. From the music, from the score that he composed in then assemble into this theme, and then into this into the film site, and he goes into it, and it just—it's fantastic. I mean, I'm personally not a huge fan of those films. I get what people are, but I every time I listen to the score for films, you know, it's the scores are incredible. But, well, we
0: started off know, didn't we by saying that that you know what we're going to talk about today was our enthusiasms and list you know rather than kind of go through and and, and do a fil- do a film study perspective on things, but. You know, clearly the music can have a lot of meaning. Um, maybe, I'm trying to think of whenever I've, whenever I've heard a soundtrack before, a score before I've seen the film, and if it if any score has ever kind of got me really interested. Well, I way, did. But, yeah. I but, did
1: The Last Jedi. Right I. Right. So okay. I listened to it the day before I, came, I, I saw it in the cinema. It came out the day before and I saw it in the cinema the day after. And did you
0: have any problems, like, listening to the score without being able to visualise the...
1: Yeah, because I was like, well, this is track chord you know i forgot uh, supremacy when does that come in and so (laughs) i was like okay okay. there's some tracks here which are going to have some big moments in the film and they do but i didn't realize at the time and then i'm watching the film okay that's where the soundtrack fits in Okay, that's where the soundtrack fits in things like that
0: yeah
1: i mean i I think we've we're going to wrap
0: up i think because we've 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 had a great conversation i think um listening you know i i i'm Quite a soundtrack listener, without without it dominating kind of my, my listening. Although I've always got, I've always got a couple of soundtracks and a couple of scores on my phones uh, on my phone mm. to 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 put you know to put through the headphones. But I I would say that yes, I think your policy of 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 making the scores sort of stand alone and be part of your normal musical life and normal musical con- consumption is 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 a, is a good idea because I think you know a lot of so much effort goes into composing these soundtracks and. You Know they often have fantastic pieces of music in that, that that really don't need the images to go with them. So, Jewel of the Fates, you mentioned before, John Williams' Jewel of the yeah. Fates from Phantom Menace. I mean, I, I've heard that played on classic, uh, classic FM and things like that. You know, uh, they just stand as, as as wonderful pieces of music. Of this is not to say that people who don't do classical soundtracks or orchestrated soundtracks, you know, I, I already said, you know, they score to Rumblefish, or I was reading an article today that said that. Yeah, a musician I really like called Hannah Peel has done some TV work this year, and this article said that Hannah Peel's scores for TV have been fantastic, and I, I've not seen those those shows, so I don't know what they're like, but I admire them. I love the, score.
1: I love the uh, score for Sherlock and some of the yeah. uh, most recent Doctor Who series. Not, not the most recent, but some of the David Tennant Doctor Who series have some really good music. Well, I was well. glad when... I stopped
0: watching the new Doctor Who maybe about two or three years in and never really went back, but I was glad when they, they seemed to be successful enough to get a budget to actually have some real... Orchestras on there because I think oh yeah they were fantastic. relying pretty much on on kind of uh, keyboards with with like brass sounds yeah. and string sounds weren't they um, yeah. but you know it it, it the, the show grew a lot and I think the budget went up um, Spike I'm going to thank you uh, for such a great conversation I, I had no idea you were going to begin by telling me about your own music playing so that was really <laughs> interesting. I, I really think that you should compose on the trumpet composer theme tune. Nah. so get to work yeah. on that. I mean, if, if uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind only needed five notes then I think... I can actually should... play
1: those five yeah, notes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So I, I
0: think, you know, if, <laughs> if, if if we can give you a brief of maybe ten notes, then uh, I'm sure you can come up with something great but, um, yeah, I hope, I hope you've had a good semester as your first semester. Yeah, I
1: have. Um, also, by the way, if you... um. If you want to hear more from me, or oh, it's gonna be a, a bit oh, yeah, go free, go i I can put it in the uh, show notes yeah. as well. Yeah. If you want to hear more from me, I have my own YouTube channel in which I do film reviews. I don't just do film reviews, but I mainly do film reviews. But um I, it's called King Knight, and that's King Knight. But uh, there's it's space between both of them. But yeah, I just do lots of film reviews and everything. Uh being recently I've reviewed a handful of Spielberg films, not all of these not all of these films. But I just, I I do loads of film views and I try and upload as much as possible. So if you want to go and check me out there, it would be much appreciated.
0: I will put, I'll find that and I'll put a link to it. Um, I'll put a link to it in the description of this episode. So thanks for that. Thank you, Spike. Have a great thank you for thank you for proposing and coming on the second ever episode of the Film Studies podcast from mm. University of Salford. Have a great Christmas and New Year. Thanks for having me. Yes, yeah, and I'll see you, you too. in. I'll see you in. What will it be? Twenty twenty one. Incredible.
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> thank <laughs> God we'll be out of twenty twenty. eh?
0: Yeah. Exactly. It's it, it's it's going to be good. It's going to be good. I've got a good feeling about it. So uh, to to make a Star Wars slight Star Wars pun. Um. So yeah. Thanks a lot, <laughs> Spike. And I'll see you later. No
1: problem. See you soon. Bye.